Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. It's great to have you here with me for a Tuesday, January 31st, 2023. This is edition number 17 as we continue with season 8 as we work our way through the Westminster Confession of Faith, both from a theological point of view but as well as a practical one as well. It's important to realize that. I say that. I know I've mentioned that probably more than once and But I say that to remind you that the Westminster Standards, as given in the 33 chapters of the Confession of Faith, the 107 shorter catechisms, and 100 and what is it, 196 questions of the larger catechism, are not some dusty, dusty, dry, boring theological work that has no relevance to our Christian experience or practice. And indeed, much of what is said is not only theologically rich, full of substance, but it's also so pastorally helpful in times of difficulty that we can run to these things and then read through the scriptures as it relates to these things and find strength in our pilgrimage. And so I seek to do both in these devotionals, and I hope they've been some help to you. Today we come to paragraphs three and four as The matter of God's eternal decree now turns its focus upon the work of redemption, the work of election. But let's pray first, and then we'll consider these two paragraphs just briefly um, today. Father, as we now come again to your word, we come in humble reliance upon your spirit to teach us. He penned these things for us. We are thankful for the work of godly men in our past, our history. We are thankful for all of church history that teaches us much of how are we to understand your word and how the church has understood it for, for many, many, many years. And we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears to these things and give us strength now, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we turn our attention now to a, a more focused aspect of God's decree. If God has decreed all things whatsoever comes to pass, as paragraph one so clearly teaches us, then that certainly includes matters related to the angels and to men. Now, it's not just just isolated to those two uh, categories. Uh, Of course, every creature, every beast of the field, every bird of the air, all of it is under God's eternal decree. But the confession now turns its corner, the corner here to focus on the angels and uh, elect angels and men who are elect in God. That rooted in God's decree eternal decree as well. And so the focus of it now is is really on matters of the work of redemption, the work of salvation itself. And so we read in paragraph 3, by the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestinated unto everlasting life and others foreordained to everlasting death. Now it's a very simple paragraph. It's not complicated really to understand. We note first that this decree is designed, this decree to elect certain angels and men is rooted first in the glory of God. It brings God glory. Now, I realize that that's the answer to every question. Why did you do that? Why why do you love your wife? Why do you work so hard at your job? Why do you faithfully attend worship each Lord's Day? Why do you pray? Why do you read your Bible? To glorify God. I I recognize that that's the answer to everything, it seems, in the church. But because it is the answer to everything doesn't mean that it's not important, nor does it mean that we shouldn't take that very seriously. Especially as Christians, as we live in this world, we know from our shorter catechism, question number one, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God. 
Now, why do we do that? Well, as Christians, we do it because he has redeemed us, because he has purposed to save us, because he decreed in eternity past to place his electing love upon us in Christ. And so in response to that, we want to bring him glory. Now, God is all-glorious. He will always be all-glorious, whether you do it or don't do it. He is always the all-glorious God. But it's designed to focus our thinking in the direction that it ought to be. It's simply to say that everything that we do, we, we do quorum Deo, the Latin, before the face of God. We do it before Him. And our focus should always be what is uh, that which would maximize God's glory and bring Him most pleasure and, and, and bring honor to His name. Even if that means our own ruin, the fact is that it reorients our thinking that we might live every day, every moment of every day, every step that we take, every breath that we breathe, every word that comes out of our mouth, every thought that goes through our head, every action, we do it always with the filter that says, will this bring honor to my God in heaven who has saved me? And so it manifests God's glory in doing this. Even in the decreeing of the reprobate, it brings God glory. Otherwise, it would not have happened. God does what he does, all of what he does to bring him, to bring himself and to manifest his glory. Now the paragraph mentions two groups of people, two groups here, men and angels. Some are predestinated unto everlasting life, others foreordained to everlasting death. Now there is a difference and don't really have the time to get into all the ins and outs of this, but it's important to recognize that we are elected to salvation in Christ as our federal head. And that is to say, as a race, and we are part of the human race. There is only one race, by the way. But as part of the human race, we find we have one representative, one head. And it's in him that we're elected. It's in Christ that we are elected to everlasting life. The angels are not a race. Uh, they are uh, elected differently and individually in the sense in which they themselves all were either upheld by God's favor or he did not, and they fell. Here, uh, we find our election rooted in what Christ has done, and as he was upheld, then we, elected in him, will find hope and salvation because of him. So there is a subtle difference, but it's important to realize that there are elect angels and there are elect people. And the Apostle Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Jude 6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath received an everlasting change under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. So there's the two distinctions. We have the elect angels that faithfully served the God of heaven, and we have the reprobate angels that fell, um, uh, fell before God. And we also have, of course, elect people. And the Apostle Paul gives us that expression or uh, that instruction and teaching in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Again, jumping very much in the middle of a context, but he says, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And so God does predestine those he determines to save, but he also, in the same sense, foreordains others to eternal destruction. And so two different aspects, two different camps of uh, uh, the, the angels and men 
uh, but God operates in a similar fashion towards both. And so we see that some are elected to everlasting life, and that then is rooted in the decree of God to do that work. But then some are foreordained to everlasting death. And 2 Timothy, um, well, in Romans chapter 9, 22 and 23, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory and the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. So again, both bring glory to God. They manifest his glory, but they are accomplished according to God's perfect wisdom and righteousness and holiness. In 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God uh, standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of the Lord, the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. And so, God knows who's his, because he has decreed them. He has purposed to place his electing love on them. He knows who his angels are, the ones that serve him, because he has purposed to rescue them. He has purposed to uh, uphold them. They have no mediator. They have no atoning sacrifice. They have uh, none of that which you and I are afforded. At the same time, God knows who are not his. Now, the problem for us, of course, practically, is that we don't know who any of these people are. We certainly don't know who the angels are, but, but we don't know even from brother to brother in the church or from friend to friend whether or not God has truly elected them to salvation. We don't have that kind of knowledge. God has not given it to us. We take people at their word as an elder in the church, as I hear professions of faith from people as they seek to join this congregation. I take them at their word. They give me a credible profession of faith. Their trust is in Christ and not their stuff and their relationships and other things, their works and efforts. But they trust in Christ alone. They tell me these things. I hear them. They're theologically sound. They're credible. Their lives seem to mirror at the time that which they are saying. But I don't know with absolute certainty, not like God does, who the elect are. This is one of the reasons why you preach the gospel to the church. You bring the gospel to bear upon the church each Lord's Day. Why? Because every church has goats. Every church has people that either think they're Christians or not, or um, are just flat out denying Christ and they're just there because it's an exercise that they, they do on Sunday. But in either case, I don't know who those people are truly and really as God does. And so we bring to bear the work of Christ upon the lives of people. Now, paragraph um, 4 elaborates further, and it says these angels and men thus predestinated and foreordained are particularly and unchangeably designed and their numbers so certain and definite that it can not be either increased or diminished. Now, this is rooted, of course, in the issues related to God's eternal decree. Uh, if God has decreed to rescue a people from their sin... He certainly knows who they are, and if he knows who they are, there's a number. It's finite. It will not change either. We don't know what that number is. We have no idea. For all we know, the last redeemed person is walking the earth right now. On the other hand, it could be another 10,000 years. Be that as it may, the whole fact is, is that God knows exactly who Christ came to save. He knows who they are, right down to their name, to the color of their hair, and to the how tall they are and who they're married to and all of it. Why? Because God's decreed all of these things. And so that number is certain. It is fixed in the heavens and it will not be changed by any effort of men. Now this, of course, helps us you know, just practically as we think about the fact that God 
is mindful of the sparrow. He's conscious of the fact that not a hair can fall from your head without his say-so. God's decrees are specific, and they are designed for a purpose. First, to glorify him in all things, but for the Christian especially, to bring them more and more into union with Christ. And so these are comforting things, but they also should move us. When we think about the many in our lives who do not know Christ, you, you don't know God's decree of election with them. You, you have no knowledge. Your responsibility, of course, is to give them the gospel, to bring Christ to them. It is that means by which God rescues sinners. And through the preaching of the word, how will they hear without a preacher? Uh, but also through the conversations that you have with your friends and loved ones and neighbors and people you work with about eternity. And you bring the bear of those things upon them. And you let God's work do its work. Uh, you, you're not the Holy Spirit. And so you simply share, teach, explain, talk about the gospel, talk about Christ with others. You don't worry about who God elected and who he didn't. Well, maybe he didn't elect my neighbor. Well, maybe he didn't. Maybe he did. Point is, is that you don't know, and so it, it's not a barrier, or nor should it be a hindrance to you talking to others about Christ. You offer it, a free offer of the gospel. You simply place Christ in front of them. Let God be God. He will accomplish it. He will bring exactly who will come to saving faith because that number is certain. It's definite. It will not change. He's not going to lose one. John chapter 6. No man can take the redeemed of the Lord from his hand. No one. He's not going to remove you from his hand either. And so because that number is definite but be, and because we don't know what it is, we should be faithful to bring the gospel to as many who will listen to the hope of glory, the hope of Jesus Christ. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. If you have any comments or questions, please leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Wednesday edition, when we turn our attentions uh, further and into, the, into chapter 3, starting with paragraph 5, May the Lord help you today. May you serve him. May you walk in his ways. God bless.